We're on Paul's second missionary journey, and we are moving from city to city. And today, Paul finds himself in Corinth. We read 1 to 17, chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose ho his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him, in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. The question I always ask myself uh, when I'm preparing a sermon is, is, how does this passage point us to Christ? We always want to be careful to, to preach the gospel, the good news about what Christ has done for sinful people. Well, Christ was on a mission when uh, he came to earth. Uh, he left uh, heaven. He left the, the right hand of God the Father, and he took on human flesh. He came to earth in order to save his people. And he did that by fulfilling all righteousness in his life, uh, by, by completely every moment of every day that he ever lived, uh, he kept God's law perfectly. And then he laid down his life. He died on the cross uh, as our substitute. He paid the penalty for sin. He, he felt the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. And that's what he came to do. That was his mission. And he accomplished that mission because he, he loved his people. Uh, the people he, uh, he loved, he, he died for so that they could be in his family, could be his children. And he came all that way and suffered and died uh, so he could accomplish that mission for the joy set before him in order to have a people for himself. 
And one day he will gather us to himself and we will live together with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the book of Acts is a continuation of that mission. Uh, Luke tells us that in the first, in his first volume, which is the gospel uh, of Luke, he says, I uh, told you all about what Jesus began to do and teach. I've said this many times, but I want to keep you focused on the purpose of Acts. The book of Acts is telling us all that Jesus continued to do and teach uh, as he, after he ascended to heaven. You know, he was no longer physically present, but he was continuing to do things. He was continuing to build up his church. He was continuing to teach people. How did he do that? Through his apostles, through his disciples, through his followers. The gospel spread, this word uh, for, about Christ spread through, throughout the world. And it changed the world. A couple of weeks ago we saw where they said, uh, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So they really did change the entire world with this message of the gospel. Com uh, continuing the mission of Christ. Continuing the gospel. What we see today from Paul is Paul uh, continuing to show the world, particularly the people in Corinth, this same uh, love, this same mission that Christ is on. He is uh, personally coming and, and demonstrating to them, as he tells them about it, he's also showing them what Christ was like in his life. And I want to think about that in the context of, of where Paul is in his journey. Uh, it's important to know uh, what I'm telling you because I, I want you to see that Paul is proclaiming the gospel not only with his words, but he's doing it with his life as well. Even in the midst of great fear and weakness and discouragement. How do we, now this is the question I want to address for us today, how do we continue to follow Christ and be faithful to him when we live in such fearful, discouraging times? in the midst of rampant immorality and corruption that is being embraced uh, as the norm and Christians are being marginalized. Material, materialism, godliness, godlessness is being celebrated and Christianity being pushed uh, to the edges. Well, as Paul comes to Corinth, he's coming into that very type of situation, uh, very much like we see today in our own culture. Corinth was a port city. It had about 200,000 people, so it was a, a large uh, population in that day and time. And it was at the intersection of a number of trade routes. It was a land bridge between uh, Greece and, and the rest of the world, and there was uh, east-west trade routes and north-south trade routes, and it was a great port for people to come in. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, commerce going on there. It was material, materially prosperous, also prospering, as, as is true of many port cities, was vice. Cor Corinth was a corrupt place, thoroughly pagan, very immoral. The city was filled with pagan temples. And on the south there was a high Acropolis with a temple of Aphrodite, and the temple prostitutes from that, from that temple of Aphrodite roamed the streets of Corinth. The Greeks actually coined an expression. They, they made this expression 
as a polite way to talk about fornication, sexual immorality. They called it to Corinthianize. So they were so well known for immorality, uh, they had a, a word coined for it, uh, for them. Probably a lot like New Orleans today. A city of sin. Or Las Vegas. You know, you go and you know, do whatever you want to do there. Corinth was that way. And we see the corruption in the government in verses 12 through 17. Here we have the Jews conspiring against Paul, and they're trying to take him before the proconsul, the Roman proconsul, uh, and, and he's trying to say, they're trying to say, look, he's, he's preaching against Roman law. He's, he's, uh, his religion is not uh, sanctioned by the state. And, of course, uh, Gallio, the proconsul, he doesn't want to be bothered with this. He doesn't care about the Jews and their arguments, and uh, he idly pays no attention uh, to them, nor to the fact that a mob, possibly a mob of Gentiles, grabs, takes the opportunity and grabs the ruler of the synagogue and beats him right in front of them. Uh, probably an act of anti-Semitism. It was truly, Corinth truly was, a fearful, dangerous, dark, and just downright seedy place. And Paul goes there. Paul goes right into the fire, right, right into the, to the dark places of the world with the light of the gospel. But he goes there all alone. If you recall a couple of weeks ago, if you go back and read a few paragraphs above, he was expecting Silas and Timothy to meet him in Athens, but they never come, they never show up. So he has no support, no friends really. Uh, he gets to know Priscilla and Aquila, and so he goes to work as a tent maker in order to get by financially. He works with them in this tent-making trade, and that wasn't a reputable or a lucrative occupation. Priscilla and Aquila themselves were refugees from Rome. Uh, Claudius uh, got mad at uh, the Jews and the Christians, and I think he ran them all out uh, of the capital city. We'll find that they end up there again later. But they're new in the, in the town, or the city, and so he's living with them, doing this trade which wasn't reputable or lucrative, and certainly they weren't living in the better part of town, you know, struggling to get by. Now at this point, he's only able, Paul is only able to dedicate the Sabbath to going into the synagogue and sharing the gospel the rest of the time he's working. So he's having this financial struggle, struggle with uh, supporting himself. Now when Silas and Timothy do arrive, they bring financial support with them from the Philippian church. We read about that in other places, in 2 Corinthians and in Philippians. They uh, gave from their means to help support Paul in his mission work, and that's how he uh, got along in Corinth. And then he's able to be completely occupied with sharing the gospel. Now, uh, along with this discouragement that he's faced uh, without support for a while, you add to this that Paul hasn't had a whole lot of success up to this point. He's had some success, but certainly probably not like he wanted. Uh, he had a promising start in Philippi, and they, the people embraced uh, the truth there, but, but then he's run off from there, 
And then he goes to Thessalonica, and he's run off from Thessalonica, and then he goes to Berea, and the same thing happens again. And then when he gets to Athens, that wasn't really a great success, as he argued with the, the Stoics and the Epicureans. It's no wonder that Paul reflects on this period of his ministry and his, 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 his coming to Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he, he talks about it. He says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That's a great admission to read about. You know, when we face the world that we live in and we see the trends around us, it's a fearful thing. What's the future hold? How, how do we address the world in which we live with the gospel? You know, we, we don't feel strong enough. We don't feel smart enough. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen, and so it causes us great fear. Paul was the same way as he came to Corinth, that city of sin, taking the gospel there. How do we continue to be faithful to the mission, to carry on the mission of Christ and follow Jesus in spite of fear and weakness and discouragement? I want to just bring out two things today from uh, how Paul behaves in Corinth. First of all, number one, he believed in the importance of the mission. That's the first point. And then the second one, he received encouragement in the midst of faithfulness. So let's look at the first one. Believe, he believed in the importance of the mission. We must believe in the importance of the mission. Paul believed his, mes, his mission that God had sent him on at the, Emmaus, uh, the Damascus Road uh, when he uh, was struck down. Uh, from that very moment, uh, the Lord told him uh, that he would be a messenger uh, to the Gentiles. Paul believed his, his mission and his message was a matter of life and death. And he cared about people, so he did something about it. We see him doing this in Corinth. He goes and he, and he just is getting along, doing what he's got to do in order to survive so that he can continue to tell people about Christ. He's only able to do it uh, on the Sabbath in the synagogue, but he goes in spite of the, the fear he has, in spite of the, the weakness, that, the weak position he's in, he goes, he does what he can, he works hard, uh, and he explains it in 2 Corinthians. He says, uh, I preach the gospel, I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. Uh, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia... Silas and Timothy supplied my needs, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. <clears throat> so Paul is boasting and saying, look, you don't think I care for you, you don't think I love you, but look at what I've done for you. You know, I worked hard and I didn't ask for any support from you. I served, I showed you Christ, that I did not come to, to be served, 
but to be a servant. And that's what Paul was to the Corinthians. He loves them deeply, and he serves them with the sweat of his brow in order to preach the gospel to them free of charge. <clears throat> and then verse 5 tells us that when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Most translations give a better um, feel for the timeline there. Uh, the implication here is that when Silas and Timothy arrived with this financial support, Paul didn't have to work anymore being a tent maker. He devoted himself full time to sharing the gospel with people every day. The word that's translated there as occupied literally means to be held with or held together or compressed together. Uh, in another uh, verse, 2 Corinthians 5, he, uh, Paul talks about uh, being compelled by the love of Christ. That's that same word. Com you know, that's, that's all he did. That's what he was occupied with. That's, that's what, uh, what he uh, was about every day, sharing uh, Christ with them from the Scriptures. He was sharing that message, and he shared it until he was, as my grandmother used to say, blue in the face. And he shared it so passionately to them that when they continued to reject him, we see it in verse 6, we see his attitude. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And what he's saying there is that it was their blood on their own heads. See, this is a life and death matter. If you don't accept it, it's not my fault because I have shared it with you and shared it with you and you have refused to listen. And it's on you now because you have been told. And that's a great warning to us all. And that's the, what Paul's doing, warning us. If we continue to, to push Christ away, push Christ away, you know, there, there, is a, there is a time when you won't hear it anymore. There will be a time when it's too late. And that's not trying to scare anybody. That's just the facts of the matter. You know, I had a friend, I think I shared this, a friend who was killed in a car accident a couple of weeks ago. He was driving to work. He's my, a year older than me. Driving to work, car in front of him hits a deer. The deer flips over the car and hits square in his windshield and kills him instantly. I mean, he wasn't doing anything wrong, just going to work. But that, his number was up. His day, was, it was over. Thankfully, he had uh, embraced Christ and he was a Christian. And it, it wasn't too late for him. But if we continue to refuse, when we've heard the message, our blood is on our own heads. Paul knew this and he was doing all that he could because he knew that the matter is not a peripheral matter. It's not something on the outside. It's not an addition to your life. It's of utmost importance. And Paul was not going to be guilty of neglect, neglecting to share this life and death matter with them about Jesus Christ and what they had done, what he had done for them. But they refused to hear. So he moved on to the next group. Now that didn't mean he quit on them, uh, the Jews that he was speaking to. He does say he goes to the, he's going to go to the Gentiles. But uh, it was a drastic warning. And we see he continued to reach out to the Jews. Uh, uh, he uh, lived next door to the synagogue. We see it in the conversion of Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. We see it later on in his ministry as well. Also, so Paul, you know, he saw it as a very important matter, which it is. There's no, other, there's no greater question to answer than that question of, of your relationship with Christ. Paul knew that. 
And also, we see Paul understanding the importance of the mission, having it pressed on him by Christ. When, when, uh, when the Lord told him that, he, that, that the Lord has, I have many people in this city, in verse 9, 10, and 11, uh, I, have, I have many in this city who are my people. So Paul stays a year and a half there, preaching to them the word of God. He saw it was important. And he saw that Christ had a mission. Christ had people in that city that were his. And he wanted Paul to stay there so that they could be reached with the gospel. You preach the word, Paul, and they will respond. And the same is true of us. It's kind of exciting. It makes evangelism exciting. God has people everywhere. He said it over and over again. I have people from every tongue and tribe and nation. When you go out and you faithfully share the gospel with somebody, you don't know who the next person's going to be that's going to accept it. There are people all around us who are not believers now, but who will be believers. And when we evangelize, we often go with a, a negative attitude, like, oh, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say, and I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And, but we ought to go out with that attitude that the Lord has many people in the city. They just haven't heard the gospel. They haven't been shown the gospel uh, with, with the way that we love them. So that ought to be an encouragement to us, as it was to Paul, I'm sure, when he got that message from the Lord, that, that the Lord had many people in the city. But do we love them enough to tell them? Do we believe the message is a life and death message with eternal consequences? Remembering the importance of the mission uh, will help us continue to be faithful to be his witnesses in our spheres of influence. Do we love people enough? to make the effort to win a hearing from them. Well, the second point builds on the first. Yes, first, we need to believe uh, in the importance of this mission. But also, we need to remember that we receive encouragement as we are faithful. You know, a lot of people are discouraged. And that just causes us, because I get that way too, uh, to, to do nothing. It causes us to be apathetic. We're discouraged, and so we stop. Paul was discouraged. He, he says, I went in weakness and fear and trembling, but he continued to go. He continued to be faithful. He didn't wait until he was encouraged enough to act. He went in obedience to God's call on his life. He went to Corinth in weakness and fear and trembling. He continued to be faithful to his calling despite the discouragements. He did what he could as he made tents and reasoned with the people in the synagogue. Soon, as he was faithful, encouragement came to him, in three different forms at least. First, it came through Christian friends and fellowship. Eventually, uh, uh, Silas and Timothy showed up. And not only did they show up just to provide friendship, but they showed up with some financial aid, financial help. And they also showed up with news about the, particularly the church in Thessalonica, that that church was flourishing. Paul writes about it. And he talks about how he received the news and was rejoicing. Because remember, the, the people in Thessalonica, some had believed, but then he got run out of town. And he was not able to go back. Satan had hindered uh, him from going back. So he had that worry on his mind. What's going to become of these people? Timothy brings back good news that the church was indeed 
flourishing. And you hear the joy. If you pick up First Thessalonians this afternoon and, and read it, uh, you, will, you will hear the joy in, as Paul writes. I've heard about uh, your faith and your love and the hope that you've got. And he's excited and encouraged by that. It was a, graced, it was a great boost to Paul uh, because he then gets a, a double shot of energy and that's when he pours himself into preaching the gospel in Corinth. just tells us that we need Christian fellowship. Even Paul, St. Paul, probably the greatest Christian leader and preacher who ever lived uh, outside of Jesus, he couldn't pull off the, that uh, mission to Corinth all by himself. He needed some co-workers for fellowship, for uh, emotional, financial support. Some of us face problems and we refuse to get help. We think, oh, well, I should be able to face this on my own, or I should be able to, me and God should be able to do this on our own. But he's put us in fellowship with other believers for a purpose. He's, he's, he's given us the church for a purpose. He's told us, do not forsake assembling together uh, for a purpose so we can come together and encourage one another. Now, secondly, the uh, second way that he was encouraged came through the Spirit working through the Word, verses 9 through 11. Uh, Jesus came, uh, well, I'm sorry, uh, that's another passage, but he came, uh, the Lord came to him and said, uh, you know, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. I've got many people in this city. Keep on speaking the Word. So it was, it was not something that Paul hadn't known before. You know, if you go through and do a study on do not fear, I am with you, you will see that from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, every time God appears to someone, he seems to say those two things, do not fear, I am with you. It's true of us. Jesus said it himself when he gave the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God is with us. And we, we must spend time uh, with God in the Word and in prayer. Even Jesus himself when he came on his mission to earth, he often, regularly, went off by himself to pray, to fellowship with his heavenly Father. And if Jesus had to do that, most certainly we have to do that as well. We get encouragement from that. And Paul did as well. Now thirdly, and we can't control this one, but Paul got uh, encouragements providentially. Uh, when they go and accuse Paul before Gallio. Gallio is the proconsul. He's got some power and authority in that part of the world, but God's got power and authority over all the world, and he controls Gallio. And when they uh, told Gallio, oh, he's breaking the law, he's breaking the law, you know, it's no accident that Gallio said, eh, I don't care. In fact... He, it set a precedent, a legal precedent, and they used that decision later to show that Christianity was not a new religion, but that it was actually part of Judaism, and it kept it protected in Rome because Judaism was a protected uh, religion in Rome. And it, was, and, it, and it was actually allowed the gospel to continue to spread throughout the Roman Empire. So something that seemed very innocuous and just a, a thing of corruption, God uses for good. 
And I'm sure that was a, an encouragement to Paul. In fact, Paul's going to stand before uh, much more powerful men than this man. And I'm sure this experience is just uh, building a foundation for him to have confidence as he goes before uh, Festus and Agrippa and all the other kings and leaders in the area. So yes, when we're discouraged, let us press forward and keep being faithful. And the Lord will encourage us. Keep, our, keep being in the Word. Keep in fellowship with God through prayer. Keep in Christian fellowship. As we continue to be faithful in those things, the Lord will encourage our hearts. We wait around until we're encouraged enough to act. We'll never act. Nothing will ever happen. And as I said before, Paul is merely a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came on a life and death mission out of love for his people. Uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was the joy set before him, the joy of seeing people come uh, into his family to be his people. He faced discouragement. He actually did get abandoned by the Father on the cross. But that abandonment of him ensured that we would never be abandoned because that abandonment ended all abandonment by God for believers because he bore the wrath of our sins and that's what it was. He faced discouragement and even abandonment from the Father so that we can always know that we will never be abandoned. Consider him, the writer of Hebrews says, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. May the Lord encourage all of our hearts as we seek to share and show Christ in these dark, discouraging times in which we live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Your word, as always, we thank you that you, uh, through the example of those who came before us and through their message, um, you have helped us to be able to understand these things, to understand the gospel, and to be able to see uh, how we need to rely upon you in the midst of this mission that we're on. Lord, help us to have uh, eyes to see the need around us, not to just get used to the status quo, but to, to have our radar open to see opportunities we have to share our faith with others and give us courage. Help us to step out in faith and to, to do it in spite of our fears and our weakness and our trembling. And Lord, we pray for those encouragements to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.